How long can you pretend to rule a nation that doesn't actually exist? How far should you go to achieve fame? In this week's episode, we'll be talking about Gregor McGregor, <clears throat> the man who invented a fake country. Find out how to scam people using hopes and dreams in this week's episode of Well, That's Horrible. Welcome back to this week's installment of Well, That's Horrible. I'm Reese, and with me... Oh, hey, it's Travis. It is. Uh, I'm kind of excited for this week's topic, mostly because the guy's name is Gregor McGregor. Fake sounding name. Is that, even his, <laughs> is that his real name? That is his real God-given name. Uh, Sounds like the fakest name. It really does. <laughs> and what's your name, McGregor? Uh, what's your last name, McGregor? <laughs> like, oh, that sounds legitimate. <laughs> um, and I fully intend to use his complete name through a good chunk of this story today. <laughs> you can't. You can't just say you can't not just say Gregor when right. his name is Gregor McGregor. Gregor McGregor. What was the fucking parents thinking? Like. I don't know. Our last name is McGregor, and you know it'd be a good first name for our son? Gregor. But this is based, like, 200 years ago, too. I it's mean, still. 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 <laughs> uh, but before we find out about old Greggy Greg here, we <laughs> need to dive into the intellectual depths that are our brains. Intellectual is a strong word. <laughs> I'm going and with it. Depths is a strong word. <laughs> Can we say our brain puddle? <laughs> we'll go with brain puddle. It's very shallow. <laughs> you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Unprofessional opinion. Okay, this week we're going to do another Would You Rather. Are you ready? I'm Kay. ready. Would you rather shout all the time or whisper all the time? I already shout all the time, so shout you, all the time. You do. That's what you go with. But and, and I'm not talking about just high volume. I'm talking about, hey, you guys. <laughs> that level of Why shouting. Why am I sloth all of a sudden? <laughs> Didn't intend for you to be sloth. There's like a little bit of... <laughs> like, it's the skin tone. Yeah. yeah there's a little <laughs> bit. Of, I can see it. I see it now. <laughs> but, okay, if if you have to yell everything, let's play this out. You have to yell everything, and you go to a funeral, and you are asked to give the eulogy for this person that you loved dearly. <laughs> <laughs> John was a wonderful person. <laughs> it's sad that he died in a horrible accident. <laughs> It'd be terrible. Or, I mean, or or trying to whisper sweet nothings in your wife's ear. <laughs> trying that, to have quiet <laughs> sex with my kids in another room. <laughs> Take it, bitch. <laughs> Do you like that dick? I guess. Do you like that dick? Yeah. Uh, but, okay, flip side, if you have to whisper everything, 
by and large, that seems like it would be preferable where you're not making a fool of yourself in situations like that. But what if there's an emergency? There's a fire in the building and you're running through the building going, it would also be super frustrating if you got into a fight and all you could do is whisper, oh, I can take you all. I'm going to drop you with one punch. I can take you all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I can take you all, all at the same time. No, I'm going to try that again. <laughs> I will drop you with one punch. I will take you. <laughs> I will drop you with one punch. All it's going to take is just slamming you down on the ground, and you're going to be done for. Still, still, we're gonna slam you down the ground. It's so homoerotic. Maybe we tried so many times to not make it. <laughs> like, sound like you're going to be having sexual congress with this fine gentleman, as is your right, <laughs> in prerogative. <laughs> so, that's, that's just how consent I goes both ways. <laughs> Not just women. <laughs> you need to show consent. But, so, I think personally, I'm, I'm going with whispering. Because at least then you'd be able to function in most situations. People would have to sit really close to you, like at dinner, if they wanted to hear what you were saying. But I just don't know that I can handle, like, yelling. Every conversation <laughs> would be a confrontation. <laughs> Everything. Right. You, you talk to the uh, cashier at the grocery store, and they're going to go get a manager if you're screaming <laughs> at them about your credit card. That's cool. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you whisper, you just kind of seem mysterious. Right. Like. Enticing. <laughs> oh, what secrets does he have? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So now that we have the important discussions out of the way, let's get into today's story. All aboard! Gregor McGregor is born in 1786 to Daniel and Anne McGregor. Throughout his life, he will go... Why are they so fucking normal? Daniel and Anne? Daniel and Anne, and they go with Gregor. Gregor McGregor. Yep. Fucking... (laughs) They're just (laughs) cruel. They did not like this kid. Throughout his life, he will go by the name the Prince of Poies and the Cazique, which means a tribal chieftain, and El General McGregor, (laughs) and more. (laughs) He descends from a long line of fighters. His father, who is an East India Company sea captain, and his grandfather, nicknamed The Beautiful, served with distinction in the Royal Regiment of Scotland. His distant relations even include the infamous Rob Roy, who was heavily involved in the Jacobite uprising of 1715. I saw that on Outlander. Tell yeah. you about that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> that's, a, that's how I learned my history. <laughs> At just 16, Gregor McGregor joins the British Army right on the cusp of the Napoleonic Wars. Even with war on the horizon, within a year, he manages to move from the foot regiment and is promoted to lieutenant. Mm. 
1805, at the age of 19, he marries Maria Bowater, who just so happens to be the super wealthy daughter of a Royal Navy admiral. I can't believe that he didn't get married earlier than 19. Just a (laughs) chronic bachelor, even though he's, you know, rounding the corner to 20. (laughs) Life was running out. How old Um, were you when you got married? Well, that's beside the point. I was 22, <laughs> okay. much older, okay. much older. You're, you're an old man by that age. <laughs> in, in, in defense of what I'm saying here, though, you know, I'm pretty sure that 20 was the life expectancy of everyone back then. So Especially you, during the fucking war. Yep, yeah, he was hitting the end. Um, the two settled down in a home right before he joins back up with his regiment in Gibraltar. Now that he has a sugar mama to back him, he buys himself the rank of captain, which costs him, uh, meaning it costs his wife, uh, about $23,000 in today's money. If you had the means to do this, it's way better than the nine years it would have taken him to earn that position the hard way. Mm. Over the next four years, he's stationed at Gibraltar. In 1809, his regiment is sent to Portugal to provide support for the Duke of Wellington. Uh, and I love his beef pasties. Mm. <laughs> so good. The regiment heads out from Lisbon in July. Gregor McGregor, who had reached or bought the rank of major, serves for six months in the Portuguese army. He has an issue with one of his commanding officers, and as tensions rose, he requests to retire from the army and does so in 1810. He figures he might as well head home to Edinburgh and check in on his wife. Once he gets back on his home turf, Gregor McGregor continues to chase after bigger and better things and uh, tries to flaunt his ancestry to seem important. It doesn't go over great, and he heads off to London with his wife in 1811, (laughs) where he starts going by the name Sir Gregor McGregor. Unfortunately for him and his aspirations, his wife dies shortly after they arrive, and because the wealth had been hers, he's stuck with little to no assets. He knew that he couldn't easily shop around for another rich, available heiress wife, and he can't exactly go back to the army because of how he'd left. Wanting to chase fame and fortune, McGregor starts to look for opportunities to work his way up the social ranks of London high society. One of the revolutionaries from Venezuela, General Francisco de Miranda, who had wowed the upper crust of society with his stories of Latin America, uh, is there present in the circles that he's in. He decides that the best way to build up some noteworthy stories would be to head out for Venezuela himself. He sells his Scottish home in 1812 and does just that. Once he gets there, he offers to work for General General Miranda. There we go. General Miranda? General Miranda. There we go. Once he gets there, he offers to work for General Miranda. Given Gregor McGregor's background in the British Army, the general accepts his offer. Miranda grants him the rank of colonel and is given a cavalry battalion. He gets mixed results with his attacks, but the general uh, consensus is that he has great performance. What general consensus? Is he the auditor? No. I uh, tried replacing a word because I misread it and thought I could roll with the punches, but thanks for calling (laughs) me on it, Travis. (laughs) That was more like, (laughs) there's there's general Murata. Oh, that's true. General consensus. Yep. 
general consensus was higher up in the ranks. <laughs> You'd think they'd be the same rank? <laughs> like, there are different <laughs> levels of general. One, two, three star generals. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he gets mixed results with his attacks, but the general is content with his performance. Even without wifey dearest to buy him a job, McGregor claws his way up to Commandant General of Cavalry, then up to General of the Brigade, and finally ending up as General of Division in the Army of Venezuela and New Granada, and this is all before he turns 30. Wow. Yeah. Overachiever. <laughs> he, he is. And, you know, honestly, as, even though I kind of poked fun at him buying his first rank, like, he legitimately had some hustle to him. Yeah. Um. I mean, before 30, I think, uh, well, I had three kids. Yeah. Before 30. I mean, that's why I claimed. So you had, you had, had sex, sex several times. times. <laughs> at least three. At least three times. So. Th- that's what you can check off on your I accomplished list. I accomplished three sex <laughs> in, in before my, my 30s. <laughs> During his mercurial rise in Venezuela, McGregor marries a woman named Donna Josefa Antonia Andrea Aristeguieta E. Lavera. Jesus, fuck. That's the full name. And I'm sure Imagine I butchered her it. for dinner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to struggle more with these names. Uh, and she just so happens to be a wealthy heiress. Shocker. Oh, surprise. <laughs> uh, it looks like everything is just coming up Mac. <laughs> Over the course of the next few years, things get pretty hairy in Venezuela, and Gregor McGregor, along with his super-rich wife, evacuate to Caraco, which is an island belonging to the Dutch. He's now a brigadier general in the Venezuelan army and leads a retreat through the jungles for 34 days. He receives a glowing report from a superior officer which stated... The retreat which you had the honor to conduct is, in my opinion, superior to the conquest of an empire. Please accept my congratulations for the prodigious services you have rendered my country. Hmm. He's good at running away. That's, yeah, that's a pretty good uh, letter of reference, though. Right. In 1820, Gregor McGregor comes across a swampy, inhospitable coast in Nicaragua, which is known as the Mosquito Coast. Oh, fucking wonderful. <laughs> yeah, that that sounds like the absolute worst place in the world to be. <laughs> oh, man, guys, I, I can't wait to get out of the office today. We got a great deal on an Airbnb right on the water in the Dirty Needle Coast. <laughs> it's called that because of all the dirty needles. He right. convinces the leader of the indigenous people there to hand over some land to make a colony. Gregor McGregor officially has his eyes on empire building. A year later, in 1820, McGregor and his wife head back to London. He had wanted stories to tell that were worth hearing, and boy did he have them now. But instead of telling actual, true stories of what he did and his escapades, he starts telling people that he has become the Kazikh, or Prince of Poies which he claims is an independent nation in Honduras, and that he'd been given that title by King George Frederick Augustus of the Mosquito Coast. <laughs> At this point, Google was more than 10 years away from opening up shop. <laughs> Two, more than 10. Yeah. <laughs> Show me the lie. More than 10 years Technically away. Technically correct. <laughs> <laughs> so it is pretty tough for people to fact check on this shit. 
With his new kingdom, which obviously needs some subjects, Gregor McGregor starts up a massive infrastructure project and needs settlers and investors. Uh, his He manages to entice potential colonizers from London, Edinburgh, and Glasgow. In just one year, he manages to raise the equivalent of well over $5 million in today's money uh, for his endeavor. To really round out his sales pitch, though, he publishes a lengthy guidebook to really pull people into the dream. He manages to convince around 70 people to head out to his sovereign nation, and they prepare to embark in the fall of 1822. To add extra legitimacy to his shenanigans, he gives these poor souls the chance to trade out their pounds sterling for Poyer's dollars, <laughs> which uh, he had kind of sort of printed himself. <laughs> Soon after, a second ship with over 200 people sets out for this paradise. They're a bit surprised when they arrive, and instead of the bustling colony that they'd been pitched on, they find nothing but untamed jungle, natives, and the few remaining bedraggled passengers of the last ship, along with Nick Nolte. (laughs) I was going out for a swim when I came across this coast. Other than having to live off mosquitoes, (laughs) it's not that bad. On the upside, there are all the dirty needles you could ever want. I'm trying to recreate that one scene from Saw 2. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) The settlers, who now understand that they've been bamboozled, try their best to establish a real colony, but most are living in absolutely terrible conditions. Some of them are evacuated to Honduras and then settle elsewhere, and around 50 of them head back to London at the end of 1823. Needless to say, Londoners are rather shocked about the story that they have to tell. Interestingly enough, though, some of the settlers don't actually blame Gregor McGregor, uh, but that doesn't stop the story from blowing up the headlines. <laughs> he pulls a Homer Simpson backing into the bushes and vanishes. <laughs> He heads across the English Channel to France, but he still hasn't learned his lesson. He pulls the exact same stunt on the poor French people, but this time he raises the equivalent of almost $8 million from his unsuspecting victims. Holy fuck. Yeah. Fortunately, the French authorities catch wind of the voyage and seize the ship. Gregor is detained and tried for fraud in France in 1826. Somehow, however, uh, he actually manages to get acquitted and uh, gets it blamed on one of his associates, who does go to prison for it. Nice. Back to London he goes, and for the next 10 years, he continues conning people out of money, but never climbs to the same monetary heights that he'd been at. He lives out the rest of his days until passing away peacefully at the age of 58. So, Travis... What was the biggest thing that you thought would be amazing and it turned out terrible? Uh, adulthood. <laughs> it's all a lie. It's so there's no point in fucking 100 percent adulthood though. Yep. Like I thought it'd be great, ice cream for dinner. If mm-hmm. I can have so much time for hobbies. No, I just am tired. My back hurts, and there's always people asking for stuff. So you spend your time answering questions from tiny people mm-hmm. and turning off lights in rooms that are not occupied. Right. That's yep. about it. Yep. That's the whole case. Asking about 
uh, what do you want for dinner tonight? I don't know. What do you want for dinner tonight? Every fucking day? Yep. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it does. It does. Shit See, sucks. <laughs> for me, uh, actually, mine was also a loss of my some of my childhood dreams because, like many kids, I was obsessed with wanting some of the cocoa powder in that cocoa powder container that is in every single cupboard. Oh, Yeah. Um, and, uh, so I finally convinced my mom to let me try a spoonful of it. And <laughs> that shit is the most disappointing food I have ever tried because it tastes terrible. And I think my child soul died a little bit that day. <laughs> thought it was going to be amazing. Yep. Nope. Nope. It was terrible. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Hoping that you won't try to sell me tickets to your colony. Uh, do you have some good news for us? I do have some good news. Wonderful. Good news, everyone! Well, that's not so horrible. So, for the first time in over 30 years in Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. uh, there are more than a thousand rhinos for the first time in 30 years. Wow. For the last 150 years, mm-hmm. uh, it started with European colonists in Africa. Okay. Uh, just a mass extinction. There used to be uh, over a million rhinos uh, across Africa. And, I mean, the numbers are incredibly low. I mean, that's there. you always read about the people who will literally guard rhinos 24 yeah. hours a day, mm-hmm. armed guards. Yeah. Because uh, there's such a high demand in the... Chinese traditional healing market for rhino horn and oh. as like aphrodisiac and healing. And then it like started to taper off around mm-hmm. 2020. Okay. And then sure enough, people were like, oh, you know what would probably cure COVID? Rhino oh, horns. Rhino horns? Oh, no. <laughs> so there hasn't been a big jump up uh. in uh, rhino, but do do. Uh, do 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 too. Do do. People literally armed guards standing around mm-hmm. rhinos. They've gotten over a thousand in Zimbabwe. Wow. And, yeah. So, do people hunt them for their meat? No, just their horns. Just their horns. Yeah, I was reading the story about it's like this little rhino called Peanut. Okay. And uh, yeah, they shot this baby rhino and the mom, and the baby rhino ran away. But yeah, they just cut off the horn of the mom and left the entire rest of the rhino. Wow. It's just just for the ivory. See, as sad as that is, all I've been able to think about is that scene from Ace Ventura when he births himself <laughs> out of the butthole of the rhino <laughs> right. and comes out sweaty. I don't know if you need to have the birds and the bees talk again. But <laughs> it was a butt birth. <laughs> it was a butt birth. It was a butt birth. <laughs> it was one of those, okay. Yep. This is how assholes are born. <laughs> it is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. Yeah. But yeah. Fucking rhinos, man. That's super I like, exciting. I always, whenever I'm like looking for good news, I'm uh-huh. like, fuck these people. I don't give a shit about these people. <laughs> I'm just like, what are the animals doing? Right, right. Uh, I was realizing that today. I was like, oh shit, I fucking have way too many animals. <laughs> it's just easier to connect with animals than people. Yeah, I fucking hate people. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's the worst. <laughs> well, folks, that wraps up this week's episode of Well, That's Horrible. Please like rate and subscribe so you can get notified of each episode that comes out every Tuesday. Come back next week when I'll be talking about how clothing kept killing people. Remember to make sure your country exists before selling tickets for it, and always remember to make the world a little less horrible. 
<laughs> Jesus. Feel bad. <laughs> I don't like that joke. I shouldn't make that. <laughs>